Thank you, Lord. Thank you for another day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, the opportunity to praise your name together, to uh, recognize who you are and, and what you've done for us, uh, to begin a new year with, with so much praise and, and adoration. Uh, you, are, you are worthy of it all. And now as we open your word, Lord, open our hearts to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We believe in prayer here. We talked about we talked about that earlier today. That uh, was one of the first things that I noticed when I came here. Uh, we're not unique in having a part of our service that's devoted to prayer requests. Lots of people do that. Uh, but one of the things I noticed is that we don't ever miss that. Whatever else we might cut out, uh, if, if, we're, if we're having a special program or whatever, I don't think we have ever in the, the entire, what is it, 15 years now that I've been here, I don't think we've ever cut out the prayer requests. Uh, because that's important to us. Uh, we believe that God hears our prayers. And then the other thing that we started doing uh, since we've been here, uh, is we started including those praises too, and, and putting those first, and, and making sure that we give God the glory for the good things in our lives, which are uh, also attributable to Him. But uh, we know that we don't always get the answers we want when we pray. Sometimes God has a different plan. But yet we're not discouraged. We keep asking. We keep praying. And we keep making that a priority. And we choose during those times that we are going to trust in our Lord. And we're comforted. We're comforted to know that others are praying for us. Somebody puts out a prayer request, somebody always answers, and, and that's comforting to know that uh, there are people out there First, we, we do believe that, that God hears us, but we're also comforted to know that somebody cares enough to respond, somebody cares enough to be to be praying for us. There's a comfort in that. And it, it, it's part of our part of being a family. And sometimes I, yeah, it can be not so comforting, maybe when that prayer was uh, was unasked for. Or when we question the motivations, or uh, maybe when we, if we don't believe somebody when they say that, uh, most of the time it's a good thing, and, and we're we're happy to be the recipient of, of those prayers. And that's why I became convicted a few years ago that if I respond to somebody that that I'm going to pray for. A lot of times what I'll do is stop right there in the middle of what I'm doing. If I've only got, even if I've just got a few seconds to stop, I'll stop and, and, and say at least a little prayer so that uh, I will have done what I said I would do. And then hopefully, the way my mind works, you never can count on it, but hopefully I'll come back at some point and be more intentional about it. But uh, I always stop for at least a, uh, at least a little bit and, and say a prayer. Uh, and I know that, uh, that God hears our hearts even when, it, when we're doing something like that. 
Some of us were blessed with parents who prayed for them. And maybe we knew what it was they were asking for. I know at least some of the things that my parents were asking for. And maybe we weren't always in agreement with some of the things they were asking for. But aren't you glad, uh, for those of us who had those praying parents, aren't, aren't we glad that they were there? And I know so many people who credit a praying mother particularly, uh, fathers as well, uh, praying mom for the reason that they uh, know the Lord today. So that brings me to the most powerful prayer that was ever uttered on our behalf. That would be, as, as we continue to pick back up our study in John uh, chapter 17, that would be the prayer that Jesus prayed, not only for his disciples, not only for himself, but also for you and me. And I've talked about this before, but I never felt like I really gave it uh, the attention that it deserves. So one of the reasons why we kind of took a break, you know, we had the holidays and stuff that were kind of kind of breaking up. But I also wanted to make sure that we had an unbroken stretch to really dig into this because it's such a wonderful and, and special thing. And to tell you the truth, and one of the reasons, the other reason I delayed is I also felt a little bit intimidated by it. Lord, how am I to unpack, how am I to put this into words? How am I to explain this or, uh, or add to it in any significant way? I mean, we're not supposed to add or explain it in any way that, that makes it more clear. Uh, I just, I don't, I'm not up to this, Lord. I love this and I want to share it with everybody, but I, I don't feel up to it. But praise God. Uh, I'm going to try it anyway. John has firmly established, as we've studied through, uh, he has firmly established Jesus' identity. He said in, in, in the very first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, the Word was God and the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then a few verses later in 14, he said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in Jesus' own words, before Abraham was, I am, in 8.50, and I and the Father are one in 10.30. We have firmly established that Jesus, yes, is the Son of God, yes, is fully man, but is also fully God. So here we have God the Son praying to God the Father for you. Well, I just, uh, I'm overwhelmed when I think about it. This prayer expresses the very heart of Jesus. And because they are completely in unity, completely connected, it also expresses the heart of the Father. So in this prayer, we have God's heart for us being poured out. And he left it for us so that we would know it too. Now, don't you know that if Jesus prays, Father's going to answer. 
I can only think of one time when you might say that God said no to Jesus. And I'm sure he didn't have to say it. But in that, in that garden, when he is so agonized by what he's about to go through that he's, he's sweating blood, and he says, Father, if there's any way, no, there's no other way. It has to be done this way. But in that no is the yes that we find here. Because God answers this prayer with a resounding yes. And that yes includes you and me. This prayer occurs after Jesus has concluded his, his final remarks uh, that we've been going through. He has taught his disciples to love each other and illustrated what he means. He has been preparing them for his imminent departure. And he's promised them the Holy Spirit who will come not only in his place, but will actually bring him to them that, that because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in them and lives in you and me. It's called the high priestly prayer because Jesus took on the role of the, the high priest. If you read about it in the Old Testament in this, the sacrificial system, how the high priest would go in and make atonement for the people. But that wasn't good enough for Hebrews tell us. That, that was ample blood. It was never going to do it. That was just a symbol. Jesus would come and be the ultimate sacrifice. He offered himself. And he intercedes. And by so doing, he interceded for us then. And he intercedes for us even now before the Father. As uh, John tells us over in First John. So, here we have God's prayer for us. And scholars have divided it up into three sections. And it's, I was looking at this, I was thinking, wow, look at okay. This looks awful. This seems awful dry and academic. Boy, scholarship can sure suck the life out of just about anything. So, Lord, I, I pray that I'm not about to do the same thing. <laughs> uh, because this is beautiful and wonderful. And I don't want it to be an academic exercise. I want the truth to, to just bust out of it and spray all over and, 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 and bring the joy that comes with it. Because all through this prayer, they, they divide it into this three sections. The first five verses, that's what we're going to cover today, a prayer for himself. The next verses, 6 through 19, a prayer for the disciples. And then 20 through 26, a prayer that includes us all. But really, we are all through this prayer. Because his very mission was for us. Everything that he's doing is for us. And his heart and his purposes are evident throughout, uh, through his mission, through his concerns for the disciples, and ultimately 
for the unity that he desires among all of us and with him in glory. So without further ado, I'm going to read the first five verses, chapter 17, uh, starting with verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifted up, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. First thing he says, the hour has come. He is very shortly to be arrested and tried and crucified. Uh, within hours. But the thing to note is that he remains in control. There have been several times up to this point, and, and even at other times in his ministry, where they tried to take him out early. But it wasn't his time yet. And they were, they were unsuccessful in doing so because he was in control. Now, though, he lays it down. As he said back in chapter 10, I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to pick it back up again. And so at this point, they're going to come. They're going to arrest him. They're going to brutally beat him. They're going to nail him to a cross. At any time, he could have said, enough, you're done. But he let him do it because although they thought they were winning a great victory, he was the one winning the victory. And we saw in the garden as he was preparing for this that it was no easy thing for him to do, but he did. So he prays, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. There's, there's a kind of glory, and I, I, I really feel like I'm missing something, honestly. I feel like there's more to the idea of glory than I've been able to successfully capture. But when we talk about the glory of God, part of what we're talking about is that visible glory, that, that quality that as soon as we encounter it, we're forced to fall onto our faces because of it, its awesomeness. There, there's that, that kind of glory. But then there's also the glory that is, that is bestowed, that is, uh, that is given either by, and you can have it either by the one, one who has it to give or from men. If you get it from men, Jesus says, that's worthless. doesn't mean anything. But God's glory, God's glory is what we should seek. And it's what he was seeking. And the culmination of God's glory 
was pig his sacrifice. But Jesus said of himself that I don't seek my own glory in, in chapter 8, verse 50. He says he seeks instead to glorify the Father, John 7, 18. So now he asks, he asks for the Father to glorify him, but look at the reason. So I can give it back to you. This was the Father's plan all along. And Jesus, in this ultimate act, is about to, is about to complete what he set out to do. And that glory comes in the purchase of his bride. He has and will define what glory looks like. His glory is in his sacrifice. His glory is in his resurrection. And his glory is at the right hand of the Father. Who has given him everything. He says in verse 2, he's given him authority over all flesh. This is the Father's authority. He is the only one that has the right to give it. He is the creator. Of course, they're, they're one. I don't want to uh, get too far afield. But, uh, but the Father in, in his role is, uh, is the one who has, has the, the right to, to give this. And he gives it to Jesus. But the, the two, Jesus' word and the Father's word, are equal. And why did he do it? That all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That was his purpose. Now, there's a distinction here, I think, because, that, that we need to make. Because one might read this and say, well, hey, look, that means everybody gets in. That means everybody. If he gave authority to all flesh, then, but then he also says, the ones that you have given me. I believe that's a subset. Well, it has to be a subset. Uh, because uh, having eternal life is contingent upon knowing him, uh, accepting him as Lord. We already know that from the scripture. So there are two groups. There's an overall group of people here. And then there's the people specifically that God, because he knows the beginning from the end, uh, because he knew from the moment of creation who would and who would not be his. Uh, there's, there's a separate second group here uh, that are those who were specifically given to him. And these are the ones who receive eternal life. It's available to all, but received only by those who receive him. Jesus has the right to make that decision. And so then he defines eternal life. In verse 3, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He seeks relationship. To know God is to know life. And then he speaks of this glory again. He says... I glorified you by doing everything that you gave me to do. Now, this raises a question because at this point, it does not appear that 
that for, to, to, uh, to our eyes, it doesn't appear that he's done it. He's, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. So, uh, it, it, two things could be happening here. It's not that he is speaking of the work as he can because he is God, because he is eternal, because what was done, what was planned from the foundation of the earth in God's mind, who is outside of time, it's already done. So Jesus can say, it's already done. I've done everything you told me to do. Even though on the timeline, it's not all done yet. And that certainly is true. But I believe, and, and, and you know, I, I, it is my belief, but I believe that he's speaking at this point of the things that he has already done. Uh, he's done everything in his earthly ministry uh, that God appointed him to do. He has given all the instructions. He's, he's fulfilled all the prophecies. Everything, uh, everything he was supposed to do up to this point, he's done. But now, he speaks of the glory that, that, is, that is yet to come. The, the culmination, the final act. The glorification will be in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension. And so he makes reference then to, he also makes reference to his eternal nature. To the glory which he had from the beginning with the Father. Remember Jesus, uh, uh, John started out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we hear echoes of that here, where he says, bring me back to the glory that I had with you from, the beginning, from before the world was. And we'll see one more part. We'll see the ultimate goal uh, when we get to verse 24. We're going to be with him someday. And we're going to see it too. And we're going to be able to see it because of what he's about to do. Jesus begins his prayer by establishing who he is. The Son of God and also equal with God. His right to act, because God has given him the authority. The Father has given him all authority, and the Father has given him the people uh, who, will, who will be his heirs, who will be his bride. And he also and he declares his purpose to offer eternal life, to bring glory to the Father who had this plan all along, and to provide a way that we can know God. And his ultimate destination in glory with the Father and eventually to be together again with all of us. Yeah. Scholars have labeled this section a prayer for himself. And it's accurate to say that, but I think it's, it's also incomplete because it expresses, yes, it expresses his longing to return to the Father, 
but it also expresses his mission. And his mission includes us. That mission was to give us life that we may be in fellowship with the source of life. And guess what? We have a mission. And we know this. We have, we have a mission to continue his mission. He is our example. He gave himself fully that we might be saved. And we remember his words. Just a couple chapters ago, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 15, 13, and 14. In another place that we're all very familiar with, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you. From Matthew 28, 19, and 20. There is no higher calling. He laid his life down for us. And we are called to lay our lives down for him. Guess what though? When we do that, we get his life in return. So, let's be about the business of spreading the message of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I feel so inadequate to, to try to put this in, into simpler words, if you will, to, to unpack everything that's, that's behind it. That you really, you really have to go through, I think, the entirety of the word to do that. That's why you gave us the whole thing. So... Lord, I just thank you that you gave it to us. I thank you that you gave yourself to us. I thank you that, that you are merciful and gracious to us because you did come for that reason, uh, to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Lord, if we will just open our hearts, if we will just get to that point where we say, Lord, I am tired of doing it my way, you take over. You be my Lord. I want to do things your way from now on. I pray, I, I pray, Lord, that that is the prayer of all of us who are here today and all of us who may hear uh, this message by, by means of, of the Internet. Lord, that we would all come to you. Be one big happy family. Because that's what you desire. You love us all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the chance. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for giving us all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.